Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, greetings, come on in, come on in, I'm here, I'm back. I want to talk Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
SULX1, a Kofi, Wary, Awun, Lo Uto, Ne Iwo, Ada Afan, Bo Osi, Obatalami, Utani, Ibo, Ne Ilio, Aban, Eshu. Eshu is a respected elder who flogs, confronts, and uncovers fools. That one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to feed poverty. Obatala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu, Aboru, Aboye, Aboshise, Ashe. May I ever reach a room? May I ever be accepted? May I ever allow what we desire to come to pass? And so we say, Asheo. Divine, all blessed, peace and love, joy and prosperity, elevation, revelations, and manifestation. You are now sitting live once again with the Divine Prince. Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye, Hudu Obeya Bokor, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veil, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is indeed my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, my reverberation reiteration, and it is my ever-living reality. It is crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my walk, my being, my teaching, my demonstration, along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, divine prince, make sense of all the weird challenges here in our daily existence on Mother, Father, Earth, and it is my personal place of power and innocence, the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality, and so it is. Ashe, Ashe, oh, Ashe. I am humbled, honored, appreciative, grateful for yet another day and not another opportunity this Thursday, December 3rd, 2020, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum, universally from this working temple of the House of the Divine Prince. Thai Potions, Hoodoo Central, in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors, my great-great-grandparents, and those who came before me along this hoodoo a life path and journey, passing down the great obiastic along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, minerals, spirits, rituals, Indeed, the history 
the legacy of our sacred stories. For your tour plus experience here in the beautiful city of New Orleans, in this legendary historic Treme, Hawkworth Treme, do reach out to us at www.OurSacredStories.com for your tours plus experience here in the city of New Orleans. Again, I'm always grateful every day, each and every day, that the ancestors rise up and I'm still standing on their shoulders. I'm grateful each and every opportunity that I have to share not just my story and my experience, but indeed our story and our experience as it shows up through the demonstration of voodoo. Voodoo 2020, 2021, voodoo worldwide. We acknowledge as technology shrinks our world, as as we get a little bit closer by way of, of technology, that in order for voodoo to survive anywhere, it must survive everywhere. And so I raise up West Africa. I raise up Haiti. I, I raise up Venezuela and, and Puerto Rico and Brazil and, and Cuba and, of course, Louisiana and Mississippi and the U.S. where voodoo still is alive and kicking. The U.K., Asia, we're finding wherever you find us, you find voodoo. Wherever you find our history, you find voodoo. Wherever you find our footprint and our imprint, we indeed find voodoo. And in this particular day of the ritual calendar of things, we acknowledge, of course, the strength and the foundation, you know, that clears the way and opens the way for us, but also the spirit and powers of direction, the spirit and powers of fertility and, and, and growth and production, of course, those indigenous powers and ancestors that supported us, that strengthened us, that became a part of that gumbo mix today of, of hoodoo and conjure and, and root work that many of us pull from. And so always, always in gratitude and, to, and humility to those who laid the foundation, who laid the way for us. We live to fight another day. We live to survive another day. We live to do the work, indeed, another day. Greetings, Queen Mother. We live to stand up in the work, indeed, another day. I'm often asked why. I'm often asked, what's the point? I'm often asked, well, what do we do? And there are many voices, many detractors within our community pulling from every sector, from education, politics, pop culture, from every sector to pull apart ATR, to weaken ATR, to give less validity to ATR, and not just as an alternative religion, but, but an alternative to a, another way of life, and a way of life that, that could steer humanity back in a more green and healthy and, and productive and safe direction than the one that we are moving in, uh, or so it seems right now. 
I don't want to digress a whole lot into politics. I, I really don't. <laughs> but, you know, when I think of what's happening, what we are experiencing, what we're seeing, what we're witnessing, what we are privy to, I'm much more worked up about those who sit by idly, those who sit by quietly, those who support with their silence, you know, much of the darkness that rules the world of today. And it leaves a really negative impression on our, our children, our young people, the next generation, you know, in terms of, of how we look at morality, integrity, values. And it's why I struggle each and every day to, to reintroduce the reality of, of what voodoo is. Voodoo is not witchcraft. Voodoo is not quick magic. Voodoo is not quick spell work. And indeed, it is a, a many-layered onion from which I teach from the inside out. But without that inner scaffolding of understanding, of understanding, of truth, of, of foundation of truth, it's real easy to detour off into quick magic. And when we detour off into quick magic, we open our world up to all sorts of powers and influences. And, and again, not to detour off into politics, but there's some kind of crazy witchcraft going on. Am I the only one who's noticed? Am I the only one who's paying attention? How else do you describe this sort of trance that so many people are in, in the face of what others see as, as just rational reality and, 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 and foolishness? I, I just don't get it. And, and again, I don't want to digress. I introduced my pre-audience today to a nice little movie, entertainment, um, um, our Yoruba family and friends in, in, in Nigeria, the Nollywood productions. Um, and this was, a, of course, one about um, Ogu, Awo Ogu. And, of course, today is Ote Ogu in the ritual calendar of things. And we understand Ogu to be an Orisha, a Lawa, a Gudon, who is a warrior and a powerful spirit of metalwork, war, hunting, civilization, as well as rum making. Ogun is a primordial Orisha. It is said in Yoruba that he is an Emole, the first of the first of the powers that descend to earth, and that he cleared the way prepared the land for us to inhabit. He first appeared as a hunter known as Tobe Ode, and he was the husband of Oya. He's the first Orisha to descend to the realm of Ile Aye, which in Yoruba means earth, to find suitable place for future humanity to thrive and to survive. He was the one that cleared the path for other gods to enter earth using a metal axe with the assistance of a dog 
to commemorate this, one of his praise names, or Oriki, is Osin Imole, or the first of the primordial Orisha to come to earth. He is the god of war and metals, the god of strength and foundation. And in his early life, Ogun is the first king of Ife, holy sacred Ile Ife. When some of his subjects failed to show respect, it is said that Ogun killed them and ultimately himself with his own sword. He disappeared into the earth at a place called Ire Ikiti with the promise to help those who call upon his name. Woe Ile's sons have disappeared into the earth's surface instead of dying is what it is said to be the, the legend, the myth, and the creation of Oku as the deity, the power that, that shows up in Spahn and Edwe and Yoruba and, of course, now in the Americas, one of the seven African powers, if you will, that survived the Middle Passage and went on to rebirth itself, to be reborn and, and renewed in the new world among many hoodoo, voodoo, root work, conjure practitioners, seven, seven African power practitioners. And throughout his early life, it is said that he fought for the people of Ire. Thus, he is also known as Enire. He is now celebrated in Nigeria, in America, in Brazil, in Cuba, in Puerto Rico, and it's indeed one of my favored powers is Ogun. Indeed, Ogun, we give colonists, we give peace, and we give offering that he does not create trouble. And indeed, trouble for us. He has been reduced in some more modern traditions to some much simpler sayings, some much simpler things. It is said that Ogu can both call and repel the police for those seeking protection from, while at the same time, uh, those needing to defend themselves from. Both have a root in Ogu. When we look at our authoritarian positions, military, um, the the um, my Haitian Creole is, 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 is escaping me. It's escaping me right now. Uh, someone keeps trying to call me right now during the show, and it's just a little bit of a distraction. And this is the one person who should know better. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to keep it rolling. Um, but when we think of authoritarian positions, our police, our government, our military, and we saw Ogu and his imagery being used um, um, in Haiti in, in a rather dogmatic and, and ugly way by the powers of the government who used uh, voodoo to control the masses and to um, uh, expose the, the people to criminality and um, infamous, um, infamous. Um, um, I'm losing my vocabulary. My vocabulary today. Um, fraternization and and helping out the family and and building a sort of elite practitioner team 
of voodooists in Haiti while at the same time um, subjugating the, the, the country to great poverty uh, and ultimately to, to uh, war and rumors of war. And so we see, as we've discussed in previous shows, the usage of Loa, the usage of Orisha, in ways not originally implied in the making of these powers. And these deities become something anew to take on not only just the new environment now that they have to exist in here in in the new world, uh, but also the new problems that we often face and confront and seek Ogu and the family of Ogu's assistance with. We here in Lukumi and Santeria and even Seven African Powers and some of the uh, hoodoo practice, the mention of warriors. And when you hear warriors, you're hearing a grouping of these powers together. Ogu, strength, foundation, iron, metallurgy, science, technology. Uh, we hear direction, Oshosi, the crossbow, the great hunter, who's also said to speak every language in the world, who's said to be able to, to hunt, capture, communicate, and relate to every species of, of an, animal and plant in the world. And then we see Orisha Oko, whose power is in fertility in our crop production, in the ability to plant seeds and reap fertility, reap crops, reap fruit and produce in an outcome, literally and figuratively. And we also acknowledge those indigenous world powers. We used to call them Indian spirits. We've evolved for, for some time. We called them Native American spirits. But we understand that there were indigenous people throughout the Americas and, and not just in North America. And so hopefully we've grown as a, as a culture um, and we understand these indigenous powers to be those communities of, of people who proceed enslavement, who proceed uh, colonization, who, who proceeded someone coming in and, and raping and, and taking their land uh, and had the original connection to the plant and the herb and the roots and, and, and the fruit and the productivity of this land. And so those powers come together in very unique, modern ways in traditions like Maria Leonza, like Hoodoo, like Paulo Monte, like Condable, and many, many others throughout the Americas. Wherever you find us, you find Hoodoo. Wherever you find us, you find the past, you find the tradition. I am available for questions, comments, requests at area code 845-277-9143-845-277-9143. As you might hear, the phones are ringing off the hook, but not from people who are listening to the show. Um, I'm humbled, and I've said this, I'm sure, many times in the last um, in the last. Uh, Six months since the arrival of the season of Omolu, 
the seeds of Babalu Oye, how humbled I am by the desire for, the need for, and the commitment to ancestors, and particularly right now, in a way that I've never seen before um, in my more than half a century of, of life on the planet. And, and not just to, you know, Ogu fix my, my life, not just to you know, ancestors helped me, you know, in my love and relationship path. But to really see ancestors as a solid foundation to anchor on, to anchor into, and particularly where some of us are still healing from and moving away from religion, quote-unquote religion, and, and religiosity. Understanding voodoo is a religion. Ifa is a religion. So moving away from that which no longer serves us, it's no longer useful for us, it's no longer beneficial for us, into something that is much more edifying, satisfying, grounding, healing. And, and again, your ancestors are your first line of defense. It, for me, it's a very simple thing to grasp. They stand up in your blood. Science now supports what voodoo has always known. Ancestors don't die. Ancestors don't go away. Our dead don't just disappear into the nothingness of physicality. For indeed, we can disappear into the nothingness of physicality and still be yet alive. It is indeed in our blood. In our blood. And so sometimes our very likes and dislikes, our very tastes, have everything to do with those who came before us, not just the conditioning of, of the present moment, the present environment, or how you were uniquely raised, but in the memory of those who lived before us, often who we have no knowledge of, often who we never met, often who we, we've never heard even stories or, or tellings of uh, within the dimensions of our family. And so it is a great segue for me to reference, you know, breaking the generational curses. You know, indeed, we are still breaking the generational curses. I am indeed a, a witness to the breaking of generational curses. My mom, I'm sure, would, would second that emotion. Um, generational curses can be broken. Indeed, as can curses be broken. And I don't want to give away too much. You know, some of you were here yesterday and we had some trickery <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> okay. I don't know from the red corner. I, I don't know, but but um, everything is good, obviously. Um, but I invite you all to tune in to Nat Geo. And there are many things going on on Nat Geo that, in my opinion, are very entertaining, very informative. The um, um, I want to give my sister a shout out, but I got to make sure I got my words together. Uh, the um, the uh, trafficking with Marion um, Van Zeller on that jail, which started last night, was really, really good. It was nothing like I anticipated. 
um, they started out in Jamaica and, and introduced me to a whole world of, of scamming coming out of Jamaica that I had no idea even existed. In fact, it has caused me to rethink all the babalows who are showing up in your Instagram um, direct messages, all the quote-unquote fake practitioner profiles. And, you know, with all due respect, we may be tainting Nigeria falsely. And, and I've said that since the beginning. You know, everyone that shows up as the quote-unquote Nigerian scammer is not Nigerian. Could very well be in Ghana, Senegal, you know, any place in the world, New York City, you know, but this whole, you know, industry, uh, I think they said $30 billion industry um, in Jamaica, I had no idea. I mean, I, I was just riveted. I had no idea. Uh, they are interest, introducing other forms of trafficking on the show in, in, in upcoming um Episodes and it airs on Wednesday night. Um, Atlas of Cursed Places, which I show up in, airs on Tuesday night. And I believe my episode is set to air December 22nd. December 22nd. So I would hope that you all would support the show um, often, <laughs> you know. And, and not just what I'm going to show up in, but, of course, I'm also grateful for those of you who, you know, will also show up in um, the episode that I will be appearing in. Um, I believe it's going to be called uh, The Curse of the Bayou, Atlas of Cursed Places, The Curse of the Bayou, episode airs December 22nd, if all goes according to schedule. And I look forward to us discussing and, and sharing more about about that. Greetings to everyone in the chat who I may not have acknowledged uh, personally or individually. I'm actually kind of going back through my chats now, so please forgive me. Um, Green Danielle Jackson, yes, and I invite you all to turn your cam on to Call me at 845-277-9143. Press the number one on your telephone keypad when you're ready with your question, comment, or request. We had a really good conversation going yesterday um, before we had the trickery. <laughs> and some of you have linked the trickery back to that suspicious phone call. Um, and that's quite possible. That's quite possible. Um the flag that came up on YouTube and, and the concept they were suggesting um, doesn't even show up in the episode. So there clearly was something not connecting and, and some kind of intervention there uh, beyond our ability to see and, and to control. Um, but I'm grateful for Blog Talk Radio because we kept going. We had a great conversation um, going on um, yesterday after the Video went out. We can those who were on the phone lines at eight eight four five two seven seven nine one four three opened up their lines, and we had a a, a very lively conversation um, after the video feed ended. So if you ended yesterday when the video technical issue happened, you can always go to my blog talkradio.com 
forward slash the hyphen divine hyphen prince. You must put that little hyphen in, in between in order to pull up uh, my show page. Uh, and you can then hear uh, the remaining conversation that we continue to have on the show. Hoodoo Occultism was researching their Ancestry.com and find out their uncle was killed by the police in Houston. Wow, that's some powerful um, information to have. I will be curious to know, you know, what, what generation are we talking about? Your parents, siblings, or, or you know, I would be curious to know how close that is to you. I would definitely make that um, a point of interest on my ancestor shrine. You know, I would definitely feed and placate that spirit, you know, on, on your ancestor shrine. And, of course, with this being Ogu's day, you know, I, I would indeed acknowledge, <laughs> pour some fire water, you know, light some flame for um, Ogu, you know, for him as well. Any um, documentation you can get or a photo you can get of him would also be a good thing if you haven't already started looking into that. Uh, even his obituary, if you can find that, um, that too would, would be um, helpful. And I think I've already started answering your question. Um, first, First, you go to your ancestors. Your ancestors are indeed your front line, your first line of defense, particularly when you're talking about um, an aggrieved family member. Um, but there are other powers. Ogu would just be one. Ochosi would just be another that I would invoke um, as well as it relates to um, addressing energy of this type. Um, I've said many times on the show, um, from a mathematical, quantum, metaphysical perspective, this is science. All energy was created at the Big Bang. There's really no such thing as a creation of brand new energy. Energy can only then be recycled, moved from one thing to another, one place or position to another. So that tragedy, unfortunately, always exists. In, in, in another dimensional space And anyone who's ever lost someone um, And not just to You know, injustice, police violence um, But any kind of violence uh, a Sudden death um, There's a real energetic Connection to that moment in time space You hear people talk about You know, things slowing down um, Their uh, sensory perception Being altered you know, in these moments that create sort of a imprint on the fabric of, of time space and, and therefore create the environment for your ghost, your gin, your culture guys, and indeed generational curses that we then have to work through, fight through, struggle through, you know, pray through, uh, meditate through, heal through um, thereafter. And when that information is lost, you know, that energy still survives, but then it shows up again, you know, somewhere else. And, and we're then detached from the origins of that anger, the origins of that fear, the origins, of, you know, of, of our sensibility 
to certain energies. So it's a very mature thing, um, hoodoo occultism, for you to even consider that and, and how to sort of address that. Um, also, the energy attached to, to the killers and the violators, you know, who, who might therefore be dead and on the other side, um, also survive and have to be dealt with and or um, addressed. Again, the energy is, is eternal, you know, and, and it's another explanation for why, for some of us, it appears that racism and, and white supremacy and, and, and the, the inner workings of that just never seem to go away. And as long as we as a nation, as a people, as, as humanity, continue to look past it, as opposed to looking into it, continue to look around it, look look over it, as opposed to, to prosperation, working through a thing, it will continue to exist in, in the energetic space for the next person, the next generation, the, the next moment to sort of pick that up and then carry, carry that thing on. Um, Neophyte Bokor, I'm thinking you're talking about yesterday. Um, perhaps my mom made some, some reference to, to that. But the notice that I received from YouTube was very specific. And the content that they were referencing was Atlas of Cursed Places. And if, if my memory is flipping me, I need y'all to remind me. I didn't show any of Atlas of of cursed places on the show yesterday, right? If I'm wrong, somebody tell me. Did I air any clipping of Atlas of Cursed Places yesterday? I, I don't believe that I did. <laughs> and that's what the notice was specific about. Now, what I did do, Neophyte Volcour, was that was the name of yesterday's show. So I'm assuming that it was a bot, some kind of system automation that might have triggered the name. And so my, my prayer is, is that while it's been appeal, that someone will have to manually go back and look at it and realize that that didn't happen. Now, that still doesn't mean that the person didn't interfere. Someone interferes almost every day. I just don't talk about it. <laughs> I used to talk about it. I, I don't talk about it anymore. But, but there's, there's one or two people who, you know, not every day, but two or three times a week, every few days, they seek to interfere, a flag goes up, and then someone manually from YouTube then has to go back, look, and then they send you the email and say, oh, you know, it's cleared on every level, there's nothing, you know, and it, and it moves on. Um, I just didn't like the idea that it sort of cuts the stream so abruptly yesterday in the way that it did. I'm just grateful for Blog Talk Radio, and we had a backup. So none of the material, you know, is lost. The stream still appeared in Facebook. I was able to download it, um, MP4, in, in Facebook. So it showed up everywhere else. Periscope, it, it showed up everywhere else. They just snatched it on YouTube. And it's particularly YouTube that is most tempting right now <laughs> to some people um, to come after, YouTube and uh, Instagram. 
um, your great-great-grandparents' son. Yeah, that's a very powerful ancestor to sort of connect with um, and and acknowledge as a part of your, um, I don't like the word routine, but you, because ancestors should be, every moment you're breathing and living is ancestors. People say, well, when do I acknowledge ancestors? Okay, well, we have a ritual calendar that people in the tradition understand. You know, these powers have ceremony days, have celebration days, have saints' feast days, you know. But your ancestors, indeed, we acknowledge them every day. We indeed acknowledge them within the ritual calendar of things. And depending on what you might be not only confronting, but also where your mindset might be. My mindset is such that I, I wake up to the ancestors, get, got a whole room just for the ancestors. I, I come into my workspace, I got a whole nother space set up for my ancestors. I, I get into my virtual space here, I got a whole nother virtual ancestral shrine set up for that space. But, but again, I trust my ancestors. I believe in the power of ancestors. I've seen the power of ancestors work. And even people who don't practice this religion, my mama, evangelical Christian, but she'll tell you she's seen my life change. She'll tell you she's seen me change as a person. And I'm telling you, respect the ancestors. Ancestors see you. Ancestors see me. Ancestors see all. You all can argue about karma and go back and forth about it all day, but your ancestors are in your blood. They're right there at the crossroads with us at, at every uh, juncture. Yeah, frame the death certificate, treat it with reverence. If you haven't already, have it framed, protect it, hang, hang it on the wall. That, that would be great. And when you visit Carolina, find out where if you can. Find the land if you can. Some of us are, are blessed. We, we still have that connection to some of our family land and ancestral land in the last 200 years. Um, go there. Gather land. Gather dirt. Gather rock. I, I got a piece of the road <laughs> from my father's side of the family. A piece of the road from where they're compound once existed. Uh, it was captured by the state of Mississippi, by the way, uh, recaptured as swampland. Uh, but that's a whole nother conversation, how the government can sort of come in and grab parts of the land, you know, to build a border wall, for instance. Uh, but, but again, I'm digressing. So yeah, get some dirt, get some rock. Uh, where my great grandparents and great-great-grandparents are buried um, on my father's side. They, they put a cotton field over it. So I go and I snatch a whole cotton plant every year, a whole cotton the whole root and everything, the whole plant. And then I use a lot of it in my work. Some of you in this audience have some of it. Um, greetings, uh, Nina Lloyd. Greetings, beloved. Yeah, it's great that you have this information, and I appreciate you sharing it in this space um, in relationship to Ancestry.com. 
Now, let me be clear. I ain't getting no kind of commission from Ancestry.com. I probably should be. But I'm not getting any kind of commission from Ancestry.com. I've just used the site. I've used the information. My initiates, my godchildren, use the site, use the information. So we're just familiar with Ancestry.com. We're gaining greater degree of familiarity with 23andMe. Now, there are other sites that I have not used. AfricanAncestry.com is one of them um, that I'm not as proficient in. There's another site. um, It's a genealogical site. Um, I don't have it saved in my memory. I'll find it and bring it back to you. That helps you to, if you have your DNA number, the the science part, uh, they can take those numbers and further help you to connect and reconnect, and particularly some of those arenas that you all are questioning availability through the commercial site, like indigenous bloodlines. Um, Now, that is still evolving in Ancestry.com. People say, well, my genealogy report keeps changing. Well, no, it's not changing. What happens is the more copies, the more people who spit in the tube, the more people who tap the vein, and, and submit information, copies, into the system, your copies are then compared against those new copies. And so whether they're coming from people, whether they're coming from archaeological pursuits, like, like ancient Egypt, that's how they got the DNA out of, out of Egypt, um, wherever that might be, we gain access to that, and then they compare us against that. We apparently have enough Neanderthal copies, so they now can determine how much of us have how, what percentage of Neanderthal. Uh, they're getting better at the Dravidian, which is around Southeast Asia, I believe, or, or maybe north of Northeast Asia, and then sort of descended down, I believe, is where the Dravidian um, originated. Um, but you find them in Asia, India, Burma. They're gaining greater copies there, so you're slowly beginning to gain access to that information. So your DNA is not technically changing. It's just evolving as they gain more books to read, more copies to compare it to, then our charts evolve a little bit, get much more specific. You got to do our work. Electro Vibes was was one of our co-hosts yesterday on the phone. After the video cut out, we kept it rolling, y'all. It was really good too. <laughs> I went back and listened to the show. It it was really really good yesterday, and it is today as well. Um, thank you so much, Matthew Ferguson. Um, he's saying from our enlightening podcast yesterday, as an American Eurocentric society, we pray to an idol of whiteness which always requires a sacrifice. Now, listen, there's some truth to what you're saying, but you're also mixing some other things in there. So, yeah, when we look at white supremacy, when we look at pop culture, which says your nose has to look a certain way and your skin has to be a certain hue, um, or you have to wear a particular uh, designer label. Uh, Now, it's not the designer label out of, Nairobi, it's not the designer label, you, you know, uh, out, of, out of Brazil, but it's, it's Paris, it's Milan, it's 
you know, and so there's some relative truth. Now, that whole idea about sacrifice, now, you got to be a little bit more specific with that because there's so many religious implications, ritual implications, magical implications to that. And so I don't want to, I tend to overthink things. It's my ass burgers. I, I tend to overthink things too much. Um, so give me some some clarity about about that. We make many sacrifices in this culture, in this society, to be alive, to be black, to be gay or, or trans, to be a woman, um, to be considered a minority. I mean, there are all sorts of ways that we make sacrifice. Then there are those things that we make sacrifice to in a more Ifa, Yoruba, Santeria, Lokomi, Voodoo-oriented perspective. We make Ebo in Yoruba, Ebo, sacrifice in order to feed things, in order to feed the good to things, as opposed to um, having to give up something or be restricted from something or, you know, fast for 40 days or 40 nights. The, the other viewpoint of sacrifice is you sacrifice a little water, a little time, a little effort, a little energy, you know, maybe some fancy, you know, fertilizers, you know, with the prayer of and the expectation of developing a crop, developing food, developing something that's useful. So that's why I was asking you to be a little bit more specific about sacrifice. In voodoo, everything requires sacrifice. Everything requires sacrifice. And sacrifice is not always about blood. It's not always about the chicken, the goat, the cow, the ox, you know, etc. There is indeed that, I like to say, homework element to it, to include shadow work. Sometimes you got to sacrifice your old self for the new. Sometimes you have to sacrifice your sense of comfortability with routine for something different. It is human nature to embrace routine, even if that routine is not comfortable or convenient or pleasant. Our brains are wired to accept routine as less fearful, as less frightful, as less mysterious as moving out of our comfort zone, going beyond and looking for something, you know, that might or might not be there. Uh, and it's why when we look at the moves of humanity, you know, Polynesians had to travel great distances of water. And early on, this was hard for science to grasp. You know, um, Easter Island and, you know, the whole story now is being pieced together about people who moved long distances across water. But but from a humanistic perspective, you know, we've got a, a sort of an organic fear of water, fire, you know, and so for a civilization to move beyond their comfort zone into a, a great unknown long before Christopher Columbus, who was that? Um, to move beyond their comfort zone you know, and travel great distances is to overcome shadow work. 
is to overcome fear. Because we can be certain that in their shadow work were people who didn't survive water, who didn't survive that risk, who were ill-prepared, who maybe moved spontaneously, who maybe didn't do their research, who didn't do their homework and tried to, you know, make great expansions. So, um, Ogu not only, you know, clears the land and opens up the way, you know, but we, we think of him as a great warrior of strength and power and um, even silence, even silence. I was taught by my elders that Ogu doesn't speak. Sounds like the man at work. Sounds like the men working on the chain gang. Sounds like the men chopping wood. Sounds like the men pounding iron. And, and, and forgive me in our political correct 2021, 20, um, in the ancient culture of Oku, we probably would not have seen women pounding iron, you know, on, on, on an anvil. Yet, in the 2020, 2021, we absolutely see the, the power, the demonstration of women within the ceremonial practices and rites of great warrior deities to include Ogu. And I like the warrior element associated with the otherwise feminine deities in voodoo and Haitian voodoo in particular. When we think of Dantor with the knife to her heart, um, which has been synchronized with, with the great mother with the bleeding heart in, in Catholicism, when we think about Ursuli, uh, El Rouge, Ursuli of the Red Eye, uh, when we think of Oya, you know, uh, wielding the great machete, we see a convergence of otherwise warrior-like imagery with what Western culture has, has separated from the great mother, has separated from, from woman. And it's only natural for women to protect herself and her children. It's only natural for a mother to protect the house, to protect the hut, to protect the village. Uh, and particularly if the community is out hunting meat, you know, is out hunting, you know, wild game, who then protects? I did a show, oh, wow, 10 years back on Block Talk Radio about that very thing uh, and the five genders and, and um, division of labor and how the, the role distribution of humanity developed um, from the hunter-gatherer to the place where we started settling a little bit more and, and developing crops, um, harnessing nature, you know, for our food. Uh, it changed division of labor. It changed how we view our roles and, and subsequently gender, gender roles uh, in, in society. Yeah, something was triggered, uh, Electrovive. <laughs> something was triggered yesterday, uh, but all is a blessing. It, it turned out to be uh, for the best. Fitness Girl Fun, Coping with Loneliness. Um, I'm going to address that because, man, I know so much about that. Um, if I can say quickly, some of my regular listeners are, are well familiar with some of the dynamics of my childhood and my background. Uh, but when you grow up in a, a cult-like, overtly religious, violent 
um, threatening environment. Um, and particularly with, with uh, parents at the time who didn't care about us socializing with other people. And often when you find domestic violence, when you find child abuse, when you, when you find situations that are not quite right at home, um, someone actively works to sort of cut off your communication with your friends, your neighbors, anybody that might witness, that might say, hey, something ain't right here. So I started dealing with loneliness in kindergarten. Um, my mother uh, was a teacher, an educator, who worked 60 miles away from home. So technically, you know, I was a latchkey. My dad worked early. He was gone at 6 in the morning. My mom had to leave 6, 15, and drive 60 miles to work. So 8, 9 o'clock, according to this society, that's a latchkey kid. And then you come home, and you got your key, you know, but there's no parent around. We used to call that latchkey. I don't know if they still use that language anymore. Uh, and then you add abuse on top of, on top of that. Um, my father used to say, you know, I treat y'all like adults, which was a literal overstatement because he never acknowledged our childhood. He never acknowledged us as children. We weren't allowed to play. We didn't get toys, you know, for Christmas, you know, for the most part past a certain age. The toys that we did receive at a younger age came from my mother's mother. My grandmother was, you know, old school, was going to ensure that we had that American, you know, Christmas, but my dad was against it. Uh, so much so, um, my grandmother sent my sister a baby doll, a baby alive. Remember the baby alive that eats food and poops? And, and we opened it like three weeks before Christmas. <laughs> we opened it played with it every day. This is the kind of kids we were. Cleaned it up, re-wrapped it, put it back in the box, put it right back under the tree. <laughs> every day. <laughs> every day. So Christmas morning, it was gone. It was gone. And this was the early 70s, 1970s. And we grew up in Chocolate City at the time. But my grandmother made that terrible mistake she sent a white baby doll, a white baby alive. And so my dad had it sent back. He said, oh, no, you, you send that back to your mother. And they sent it back until she could acquire a black baby alive. Now, many of you mothers and women and doll enthusiasts, you know that even today, getting black dolls has not always been the easiest thing for us. And so it took months. That doll didn't come back until well after Easter. <laughs> until well after Easter. So, you know, we live in a very isolated bubble of reality, physically, but also spiritually. When you, you're in those sanctified, evangelical, sort of set-aside religion, you know, you don't play with other kids. Other kids are, are heathens and, and sinners and, you know, and so I started dealing with loneliness at a very, 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 very young age. I can remember long before Whitney Houston sang it, um, who's the original artist who did um, 
I believe that children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Now, the original performer, it was a male. Somebody help me out. That song would bring me to tears, even as a child, because I was conscious enough, this fitness girl fun, to realize that we weren't being humanized. We weren't being treated like children. Um, I was smart enough, erudite enough to know that something wasn't right. So learning to explore yourself and your reality. For me, it was books, it was music, it was plays, it was the piano. My best friend was a piano. I was playing piano by ear at a very, very young age. And so that's where I would work through that energy. And today, beloved, um, you have technology available to you that wasn't available, you know, in the 70s. Um, You have a whole world of people. Now, the downside to the Internet is it's too easy for loneliness people to come together just to sort of express their loneliness as opposed to connect with each other, humanize each other, bring about some kind of relationship with one another. We see the memes. We see the cute posts you know, about love or about loneliness or, or, or about despair, but you've got to be willing to share, as you've done in this space, and step outside of yourself and find other areas that not only interest you, but then have people who also have those areas of interest that you can then find some commonality with. Um, I had freedom, physical freedom as a child. My dad preferred that I was away from the house. So I could walk away from the house and go to a museum, go to a library, you know, go to some, the richest neighborhood, you know, that I could find, that I could walk through. And these things give you a sense of something to work towards, something to look forward to, something to sort of advance towards. And then do something for someone else, beloved. I volunteered a lot as a young person. I'd go to, you know, the nearest hospital in my community and volunteer, you know, four hours, six hours a day sometimes. You know, they give you that little free lunch, you know, but I I learned that sometimes doing for others helps you to heal Loneliness, sadness, despair, the illusion of isolation, because it's really an illusion. Loneliness is a, is a feeling, and, and, and I like that you use that word, but isolation is, a, is an illusion. It's an illusion. You know, we can isolate mentally, emotionally, culturally, but we're always surrounded by, you know, billions of people you know, on this one shared planet in space. And so I like to use my internet. 
I like to use my social media to expand outside of my neighborhood, my community, even people who think like me. Um, it is said that in social media, people tend to gravitate to people just like them. I, I'm very different. <laughs> if you scan my friends list on any page, I'm very different. Um, I like difference. I like diversity. I like people with an opinion. You know, I, I like something to compare to. And, and so I use my internet, my Skype, you know, my Baidu, you know, some of those other social networks to reach out to Ghana, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, Venezuela, Brazil, and, and where they speak a language that I don't speak, I, I, I speak it out in Google Translate. There's some kind of translator for it. Um, and so there are many ways to come at to come at that illusion of isolation um, because it is just that. It's a mirage of sorts that the more you believe it, the more real it becomes, the more prominent uh, of, a, of a block it becomes in your spiritual psyche. Um, first of all, I don't suggest interacting with problematic ancestors. Now, let me be clear, and you don't have to respond. Um, are you saying problematic in that they were problematic people in their lives, they did bad things, or do you mean problematic in that, you know, mother, father, people you have a direct connection to? Because I often like to say we talk about Egungun, we talk about Galede, we talk about Gede, we talk about ancestors, and then we talk about relatives. And, and those are two different arenas of energy. Indeed, your mom, your pop, people you know, your siblings, relatives, for sure. Uh, but when we think about grandparents, great-grandparents, those who lived on before, I think we might be rushing too many souls into that ancestral lane before they're qualified. We might have to look at what is an ancestor. Because there are the dead, egun. Egun means bone. From Yoruba to English, it means bone. But, but it's used to symbolize the dead, egun, E-G-U-N-S. Egungun is said to be ascended. Higher evolved ancestors often did wonders in real life, then went on to continue to support humanity, you know, from the other side. So everybody who dies, everybody who's dead is not an ancestor. And Haitian voodoo, Louisiana voodoo, Mississippi Delta voodoo, we make a very clear distinction because Gede, Papa Gede is, is, is the head of the Gede family, uh, Baron Samdi is one of many Barons within the Gede family. There are many characters within the Gede family, just like the real world family. You got old, young, tall, short, and you see that demonstrated among the Ga, among the Igbo, among the Yoruba, when we look at their Egun festivals, their Egungun festivals, their ancestral 
festival. But we're not feeding, placating, waking up all the dead, and particularly those that we say are, quote, unquote, problematic. So I guess the distinction, um, Crystal, I was trying to make was problematic in that they're tied up in your destiny, siblings, parents, you know, the uncle who, who did something really bad to you, people who are tied up in your destiny. Or are you just talking about problematic ancestors, the murderer, the killer, the rapist, but, but wasn't directly connected to you? At any rate, we're not seeking to wake them up. We are seeking to, to keep them quiet, to keep them in the ground, to, to keep them from, like the zombie, coming back to then be served or uh, um, um, be, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? coming back to either serve some form of servitude or to met out something, respond to something that has already, you know, happened before. And so we feed them, we pour libation to keep them all still, to keep them all quiet, to keep them all healing and resting and moving forward in the next spiritual dimensional space. But when we start talking about ancestors, often we're talking about egungun or higher evolved spirits. And in that space, there's no problematic. There's no problematic. Greetings, Ujo Wajet. Greetings, beloved. Thank you all. Let me check my phone lines at area code 845-277-9143. Thank you so much, beloved, for listening with me. Press that number one on your telephone keypad when you have something you want to say, and I will unmute your mic. Harris County, yeah, um, now you're talking about synchronicity, hoodoo occultism. Synchronicity, it's a new modern magical word where we align up things like 1111, double numbers, always seeing the same color, always seeing the same name, synchronicity. And it's interesting how as a young person, you know, before 20, um, I had all these interests, you know, books and imagination and uh, creativity around voodoo, around what witchcraft was, around what the spirit realm looked like. Um, as I came into my teens cultures, you know, there was a period where I was just totally into Japan. Everything Japanese, you know, intrigued me. Everything India intrigued me. Um, and, and I acquired things or drew or designed things, um, had things gifted to me, only to then have them resonate much later on into my journey, much later on into my adult life. Um, th- there's a blessing in, in taking care of your stuff, and holding on to your stuff. Good parents teach that to their children. So the ability to have, you know, your mom's stuff, your your parents' stuff, your grandparents' stuff, your great-great-grandparents' stuff, when we're talking about ritual work and altar work and ceremony work, it's a really, really powerful, uh, powerful thing. So there's a resonance with people, places, things, locations, that can show up in synchronicity um, in your journey. 
my interest in particular cultural nuances of, of West Africa now confirmed through DNA, you know, particular uh, leaning towards certain ethnic groups, certain uh, ritual practices, uh, if you will. Yes, it is. Yesterday was a good show. Today is a good show. I I appreciate you all for being a part of creating such great uh, opportunities for us for us to connect. Otherwise, I'm going to move forward in a moment. Okay, now you're just throwing out random stuff there. Let me. I'm trying to catch up here on the chat. Bear with me, Block Talk Radio. <clears throat> yeah, that 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 lack of home love, fitness girl fun, is essential to healing and moving forward. And and particularly in the diaspora, and particularly when we look at post-traumatic slave disorder, because that energy is generational. That energy goes back to a time where you know, we were beaten and abused and treated worse than the dog, uh, treated worse than the goat and, and the cattle. Um, and, and so, yeah, we have built-in triggers to that energy. But, but it also creates an environment where it makes it that much easier for us to feel isolation to turn, once that turns on, to then feed that and it becomes bigger than, than the reality. Uh, I also suggest journaling. Oh, beloved, keep a journal. Journals remind you of the times when things were okay, remind you of the times when you're thinking clearly, remind you of the times when you have dreams and, and, and goals. When we get into that isolated place, we cannot forget all of that, and you only can remember the negative. You only can feel the negative. So, Actively pull yourself out. Consciously decide that I don't want to be unhappy. Consciously decide that. Create a mantra. I am happy. I am perfectly happy. I am God-created happiness. I am whole. I am in balance. I am complete. And say that over and over and over and over and over again, and it will shift the hormones in your body. Uh, some people say fake it until you make it. Say it until it becomes your reality um, and get a good quartz crystal to work with. This crystal been with me over 35 years. Get a good talisman to work with. It learns your energy. You learn its energy. It brings balance to where you need light. And it will help you to heal through, you know, th- those blockages. And you'll find that it'll happen less often. You'll feel loneliness less often. You'll feel unhappiness less often. Um, I'm almost surprised now when when I try and think back to those times, how that even happened. It's, It's almost like being a completely different person and being disconnected from that reality. So your goal is to connect to the reality right now in this most present moment in time space that mirrors your image. And and when we can't do it physically out here, you know, then you first do it within. First do it within. Imagine it. Create it. 
envision it. Imagine what things would look like, would feel like, would smell like if they were as you would have them to be. And in doing that, sometimes we find that we're not very specific. Just like prayer, you got to be specific. It's just like ritual work. You got to be specific. You got to know what it is that you're asking for. There are many fairy tales that we could call on where people made wishes. You know the grant me three wishes, and you throw out three things that come first to your mind without thinking those three wishes through. What does this wish really look like? What does this wish really mean? You know, Bewitched, one of my old favorite TV shows from the 60s and the 70s, um, dealt with that at that issue a lot. You know, be clear about what it is that you want. Be clear about what it is that you're asking for. And try not to use general words. Loneliness, unhappy, be more specific. Sad about what? Unhappy about what specifically? Lonely about what specifically? And if you can get your mind to think like that, you might even be able to rationalize your way out of those lower feelings. You may even come to a realization that, like me, as an empath and someone with Asperger, um, all my feelings ain't my feelings. All my feelings have absolutely nothing to do with me or or what I've eaten or haven't eaten or or, or where my sugar level might be at a particular moment in time space. It's not always me. But it took journaling, meditation, and paying attention, being slow enough to pay attention. Because many of us are moving through life so fast, you can't even see what you're saying. You can't even see what you're doing. You can't even see, you know, how your belief system is showing up on the outside uh, to the rest of the world. So journal, work with that clear quartz, focus on a reality that mirrors your best interest. Focus on a reality that's real, that's rational, that's believable, that you can construct in your mind, and it will become, it will manifest. Um, yeah, do they still use that word latchkey? Uh, that's a very 1980s, 90s kind of word. I don't know if they still even use that word, uh, neophyte vocore. Uh, and let your vibe does the doll test every year to see how my students view themselves always produces interesting re- results. That's, that's a great one. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, the doll test goes back to, I don't know, the 40s, the 50s, um, where they used to give a room full of children chocolate doll, vanilla doll, black doll, white doll. <laughs> you know, which one represents pretty? Which one represents prosperity? Which one represents success? And so even in the dynamics of that test, it's something that we have, as adults do to a great deal subconsciously every day. When, when we denote value with a label, with a particular brand, oh, I can't have that brand. I need this brand. I, I can't have the generic. It's got to be that. When you have to have a car, and the car has to be a particular kind of car. One thing, you have to have a car. There are certain places you have to have a car. Los Angeles, 
Very, well, it might have improved now with the light rail, but, but it's very hard to get around Los Angeles without a quote-unquote car. So it became a part of not only status, but how people self-identified. And people will embarrass you. People will degrade you in your face and behind your back in Los Angeles if you don't have a car. Now, that may have changed now, again, with light rail. And then Uber. Uber has dramatically changed to some degree um, how we sort of value cars. The green movement and the energy movement has affected now how we value a car and status. But we still see it in the hip-hop community, in the rap community, in the entertainment, you know. What does it look like? How much bling does it have on it? You know, and so realigning what value is. I can remember the season I threw out all my Western clothes. I remember being in California and in, 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 in Pasadena in, in the early 90s and throwing out all my ties, all my suits, all my just anything Western that wasn't T-shirt and draws, I, I tossed it out. And at that time, I think I only had two dashikis, you know, two two dashikis and some some MC Hammer jump pants, you know, from from India or something. And that's all I had. But it forced me to re reevaluate not just value, but what are you putting your dollar on when it comes to value? Because I, I struggled with being Afrocentric, being black nationalistic at that age, being African cultured at that age, and then buying one more pair of Payless shoes, buying one more item out the big box, JCPenney, Sears, you know, big box. It didn't make sense to me. It also didn't mirror my reality anymore. Now, now where I think things have shifted a little bit is now people believe that it's just in the, in the dashiki. That it's just in the dashiki, the dreaded hair, the natural beard, and that somehow equates to consciousness. That somehow equates to blackness, uh, a culturedness. We keep wanting to avoid the work. <laughs> no, it, it's older than Luther. Um, no, um, that song was sung by, um, it might have been sung by, um, what's the guy's name who performed with Dion Warwick, who had the mental health issue, who committed suicide, one of the greatest writers of all time, but particularly in the, in the 70s. Um, Donnie Hathaway. I believe it was Donnie Hathaway that first perform that song. George Benson, thank you, Electrolyze. George Benson, okay. George Benson is in the right time period. Um, I don't have a free hand right now to, go to uh, pull it up on YouTube. <laughs> it could be George Benson, but George Benson seems very early 1980s to me. And this song is very 1970s. Um, around the same time as wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed, no more time thinking, time for thinking ahead. That was uh, Kay Pendergrass before 
Kay Pendergrass went solo. So I want to say that it could be George Benson, but but it feels like somebody just a little bit before George Benson's time. But I'm willing to be wrong. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yes, my parents didn't allow us to eat at other people's house, didn't allow us to play with other kids, black or white. Um, yeah, Danielle Jackson, we, we had that similarly. We weren't allowed to, you know, unless it was a news or a documentary or something educational, we weren't allowed to watch entertainment shows like Happy Days. Wasn't no black people on that show. Um you know, we, Laverne and Shirley, we, we weren't allowed to watch those shows. Um, if we wanted to watch them, we had to seek to watch them or look at them at somebody else's house, you know, without them knowing or watching them, you know, as latchkey kids while we were home alone and then cooling that TV down, <laughs> you know, in time so that when they get in there, the TV ain't hot. But, yeah, we had very restricted parenting. Um, coming out of the, the 70s, what they call the Black Power Soul 70s, um, and a very strong sense of pride and self-worth and self-awareness, even in the midst of all of that abuse and violence. So I thank God for my mother, but I also thank God and the ancestors for pop culture where, um, you know, a better sense of circumstances were being demonstrated uh, that I could look to. And, and I think that, too, Eric Code 937, I'm coming, beloved. Give me one more minute. Um, I, I look to, you know, that whole idea of loneliness, unhappiness, sadness. Uh, sometimes you have to take your focus off of the people and look at places, things, environments that offer you healing space, sacred space, fitness girl, that that make you feel good. Some therapists say, you know, imagine, you know, being at the beach, imagine, you know, and that's good, but no matter where you live, you know, find that neighborhood, that community, that natural environment that brings you back to the center Again, it helps you to, to, you know, regain your sense of wholeness. Uh, phone lines, area code 937. Area code 937. Who's calling and where are you calling from, beloved? Hey, it's Electro Vibes calling from the DMV. Oh, greetings. Oh, from the DMV. Okay, okay yes. Yeah, yeah I, just have of... my, uh, I still have my Ohio area code. Okay, okay. Yes, indeed. What's your question or comment today? Okay, my question is, and I, and I like what that the, the, the question that Carla put up about loneliness, mm-hmm. because a lot of people, they um, get on this path and they don't understand just how lonely the path can be. And now my, my question is, when did you decide that you were going to get on this path? Like, what age was it? Um, My mother, Gary Vonsell Savage, who somewhere in the chat. Um, she's my witness. Um, I'm going to say eight or nine. <laughs> and you got to remember, I, I grew up, 
I was born in Chicago, but to move my family away from my dad's polygamy, he moved us to the DMV. Okay. Um, and so we had exposure to not only that sort of chocolate city vibe, which the DMV really was back in the day, um, but that exposure to the Smithsonian, for instance. The, I, okay. Everything African and the, the Smithsonian, I had to go there several times over. Um, the archaeology, I went there to connect back to self, culture, religion, humanity. I found all of that in the Smithsonian. Um, the, the Egyptian section, once upon a time, they may still have it. They had a whole Yoruba village in the uh, Smithsonian Natural History Museum. And wow. I would find things in there that I already connected to, already had, already owned, already had some feeling for. So sometimes when we think about loneliness, we put too much emphasis on other people. And not just like your family or your friends or, or your love interest, having a husband, having a wife, having a partner. And, and then we attach that to loneliness and isolation. And the reality is, is you can be married, you can be in a full household, you can be in an army barracks, you can be in a homeless shelter with a hundred other people and still feel absolutely alone. So you, you got to figure out first, what is my identity? I knew growing up in the DMV that I was culture, that I was black, that I was African, that I was all about music. And so I sought those things out as opposed to making the seeking of people the priority. And so in that seeking the environment of sacred space, creative space, healing space, I then encountered people who spoke to my truth. And it didn't always mean, you know, lifelong friendship. Sometimes it was the conversation with the old lady the older man, the young person, you know, sitting out somewhere at the park for an hour and really hearing their story or really absorbing their truth. Because, again, happiness, loneliness, isolation is really about the state of mind more than physicality. And in this season of pandemic, we, we've sort of been forced into this position where you can't intermingle with your family, you can't go to the funeral, you can't you know, have you graduated? All those things that we suffer through, you know, early on, and unfortunately will continue to suffer through um, in, in the next four months. So many of us are now being pushed to the brink of our understanding of what happiness is, what isolation really is or is not, and what being alone really is or is not. Now, to live alone doesn't equal isolation. To live alone doesn't equal loneliness. To be single doesn't equal unhappiness, isolation. Now, we see that mirrored in a very unhealthy way in pop culture, TV, sitcoms, you know, reality shows, etc. But those of us who are supposed to be on this spiritual journey have to be able to distinguish Spirit from the flesh, our spirit from carnality. So, so your body craves certain things, and we learn through fasting, we learn through discipline. 
that you can't just because you see the cookie jar, you can't run up and grab a cookie every time you want. And when right. you're young, mama helps you to understand. <laughs> when you're young, mama helps you to understand. But as you get older, you're supposed to, you know, step into some wisdom about how much you take in or allow in to your spirit that either feeds or takes away from your ultimate destination. So I'm not unique. I'm not special. I absolutely relied on ancestors and voodoo to heal, to survive, to come out of the streets, to, to deal with the lack of love, you know, between me and my mother at that time and, and, and my father and, and really my entire family. Because, you know, again, I, I'm a Virgo, Labor Day Virgo. I, I got Asperger's. I overthink everything. So, so you then begin to start asking, well, where is the rest of the family? Where's the other witnesses? How come my aunties ain't get involved? How come my uncles didn't get involved? And, you know, the more you apply those relative truths, the more you can reaffirm your feelings of isolation and and loneliness. And and it's a trap. So find your peace, beloved. I don't know where you live. Maybe put your city, uh, type your city in um, Fitness Girl Fund, and I'll help you find some places, some environments, that feeds your spirit. Return to nature. And if you're somewhere cold, you know, one of my second favorite places is probably, other than museum, um, is Botanica Garden, especially in the winter. Uh, There's a Botanica Garden on the west side of Chicago. I forget the name. My favorite destination in the heart of winter. I don't care how much snow is on the ground. I don't care what the wind chill factor is. I can go into that botanical garden and be in Jamaica and be in Hawaii in five minutes. <laughs> you know, they got the the, uh, the succulent greenhouse, and they've got the, the cactus, cacti greenhouse, and they've got the tropical plant greenhouse. So, so figure out where you live. Get creative about finding voodoo in your urban environment. This voodoo all around us. It's everywhere. If we can just open our eye, eye, third eye to it. If we, if we can just remove ourselves from the, the overt, um, consistent, you know, carnal, carnal energy, what we eat, what we drink, how we feel, you know, and move into that higher vibratory state. I guarantee you, fun girl, I'm sorry, fitness girl fun, I guarantee you um, this won't last. This is a season. And so remind yourself, this this will pass. This is just a season. Did you have something to say, brother? Go ahead. Oh, well, I I, I just want to piggyback off of what you said. I mean, you got to feed your spirit. You know, energy is very important, and you have to know what is for you and what's not and have the gumption and gall to move away from what's not for you. Even if it, it might be one of the hardest decisions you got to make, but you have to move away from it to better yourself. I agree. And, you know, again, looking at my own story, I often heard 
you know, well, you're a man, you know, as if women can't sort of get up and move. And I think that there are some elements of truth to that, Um, particularly once we start having children, start creating families, then you have to also consider, well, if I move, my family moves, you know, um, and I think things do indeed get complicated. Um, even now, in, in the throes of pandemia, um, I think about that and, and discuss that with members of my family who live alone. Um, the idea of what blessings we feel came from that during the course of the pandemic. You know, I've got cousins and people that I know who got coronavirus or all the way back to the spring and before, but even now. Um, I had a first cousin die of coronavirus in February before anybody even understood to the fullest what coronavirus was. I, I have now cousins in St. Louis who got coronavirus in the last five days, in the last seven days. Um, so I think about, you know, people who feel like they have to have church, who feel like they have to have grocery store contact, who feel like they have to go out to the gatherings, to the events. Um, and again, electrobias, without trying to digress into politics, it's just insanity right. to me. It doesn't make sense to me. And if you feel like insanity is too hard of a word, um, common sense. It's not yeah. common sense to me. But but again, feelings, just like isolation, just like happiness, just like religion. Is religion indeed in the building? Is it in the structure? Or is it where you are? Or is it in you? And particularly, you know, my religious folk who are sort of bucking the system, Christians, Evangelicals, some Jews up in, up in in the New York area. I mean, where really does God exist for you? Where really does Spirit exist for you? And for Voodoo, Ifa, Afa, Akan, it, God exists in nature. It's at the seat of what animism is. So, you know, thank God we have air to breathe and, and water still flowing and we can still, you know, go out into the yard if you can. Now, now again, these urban centers and these concrete structures and your imagination is being challenged. It's being challenged in terms of how do we live? How do we thrive? And particularly now with all the, you know, protocols and, and restrictions. But I don't see it as being that much different than dealing with depression, dealing with isolation, dealing with feelings of unhappiness. Um, and a whole other topic is worthiness. How, how worthy do you feel for happiness? How worthy do you feel for success? How worthy do you feel? How fulfilled do you believe your Destiny is towards that goal, and sometimes we quit way too way too early. I, I just read of a suicide the other day. I think the kid was like nine years old. Who commits suicide yeah. at nine years old? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, I've dealt I've dealt with students like that who had 
major issues beginning their lives. You know, I've actually taken pill bottles from students before. You know what I mean? Like, no, you can't take this now. We're going to talk this out. And it's because, like you said, it's an attack of, it's an attack of, like, your spiritual base right now to where it's, like, people who can't handle it, people who don't have that foundation, you know, as they say, you, 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 you sink or swim, you know? Mm-hmm. And as you said, that is definitely a problem in our in our community. And I just wish more of us had the courage to, you know, to to help others and, and if those who need the help say something, you know, if you do need the help. You know, and, as you said, add, it's all kinds of resources. And let me add to that, because that you made some great points, beloved. But let me add to that. I'm particularly with some of the people that I'm seeing in the room. Um some people that I I know a little bit about. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. I'm not, you know, I know there's always that easier said than done. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. And some of us, to include myself, have had to deal with depression, bipolarism, PTSD. PTSD. One is PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder. The other is post-traumatic stress disorder. But those things make the idea of isolation, loneliness, fulfillment, completion, much more real for us. And you add being an empath or a spiritualist or having your third eye open, those energies become very real for us. So you've got to get yes. out. I remember when I lived in Chicago, my favorite place uh, that Dive Marcus Art was the bike trail on the lakefront. My favorite place in the world. Even then, I didn't have a bike. <laughs> you could still walk to the lakefront. You know, Belmont Rocks was still there. The old Belmont Rocks, part of that Chicago lakefront area was just boulders, huge boulders, and they called it the Rocks. And so you could sit down in there and, and lose sight of the city and lose sight of the building. And so all you're surrounded by rocks and the lake. Now, they've modernized that in the last 20 years, and, and it's a lot of concrete, open concrete now down in that area. But even fruit trees, I would find and count all the apple, peach, and blackberry trees on that bike trail, off that bike trail on the lakefront. I would serve my Arisha. I would serve my Loa at the lakefront. I would use those rocks as my outdoor altar structure. And I bring my candles and my incense, and I, I make ceremonies there. Um, so we've got to, you know, be better stewards of our environment, but also be sure that we are experiencing our environment, and particularly now. Um, I try to get out every day, at least twice a day, and walk a few miles, walk to the river and back. Y'all seen my Instagram. Walk to the birdhouse and back. You know, see the, 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 the people fishing, you know, and pulling up catfish bigger than your three-year-old, you know, and, and <laughs> speak truth, you know, into the air. Speak a reality into the air that you desire. We are forced to over-focus on what we don't want. Even when you ain't thinking about what you don't want, it's on your Twitter stream, it's on TV, it's on the news. 
everything that you don't want is being reinforced, refed, reapplied. Everybody we don't agree with is being reinforced, refed, reapplied. So it, it, it creates an illusion that there's no safe spaces other than that which we create, create for ourselves. Yes, Shamafia, fresh air, take the walk, graze the trees, the blueness of the sky, connect with the water. Yes. Um, I didn't answer somebody's question. Uh, the goddess initiative. That's fine, beloved. Now, you you still might have a small... You, you're still going to have a representation of your dad on your main ancestral structure if you're following the rules. And I'm not going to give away the rules, but if you understand, then you you have to acknowledge all, all four parental bloodlines, both sets of parents, all four grandparents. Um, but to have a separate space Especially if it's his stuff, his space. There's nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the past uh, fitness girl fund is not isolating. And see, that's why we keep saying it's an illusion. Because you, like me, have that family baggage, that family curse, and so you then go out into the world with that already in place. Not understanding that even in the best case scenario, when you make this shift towards culture, towards spirituality, religion, towards voodoo, people are not going to understand that. Even your best of friends are not going to get that. And so even in what I call soul journeying, soul journeying, there's a isolation period, there's a wilderness period that has to happen. You're gaining knowledge and information that's not common, that's not taught every day. People aren't speaking Yoruba every day in America. People aren't speaking Yoruba necessarily every day in Nigeria, where the national language is English. <laughs> you know, we make a conscious choice to invoke ancestral language, to invoke religious dialogue, to, to, to invoke mantras. I say all is a blessing at least a thousand times a day. I say respect the voodoo at least a thousand times a day. It becomes a part of your lifestyle, your, your, your very essence, your very being. So the idea of, again, relatives and ancestors, even among the living, because fitness girl, I realize you're talking about living folks. Uh, I still can't communicate with my dad at all. So, so I understand what you mean. But working with your ancestors, even their parents, their grandparents, the relatives who were alive during their inception and creation, those forces can assist you in healing this and moving forward. And, and it forces you to a little bit, not to empathize or to sympathize, but to remember the humanity of the people that you have the conflict with. Because you might not know what mother and grandma went through or did before you got here. You might not know to what degree grandmother abused your mother. You might not know to what degree your grandmother was hurt, molested, 
raped, abused, and then transferred her anger onto your mother and then created generational imbalance. I'm not asking you to empathize or to sympathize, but to at least acknowledge when you're doing your ancestor work that something happened before you. And there were witnesses to something that happened before you. And those people, again, may very well be on the other side. And they can assist you. During that decade-long period when I couldn't communicate with my parents at all, I communicated with my ancestors. Because I couldn't communicate even with my grandparents. My father's parents were dead. My grandmother, grandmother was alive and on her fifth husband, but I, so I couldn't really communicate with her. So I went to the higher power, the great-grandparents. <laughs> I went to the people above them. Y'all see, you know, you understand. You helped me to figure this out. You helped me to figure these people out, and they did. And they absolutely did. Greetings and welcome home. All is a blessing. All is a blessing, y'all. Please click oh, yeah. like. Make sure y'all are following me on YouTube. Make sure y'all are following me on Instagram. I am Divine Prince Ty Emeka on Instagram. I am Divine Prince Ty Emeka on Facebook. I am the Divine Prince on uh, Twitter. So I ask you all to like, to share, to support. Talk about the show, introduce some other folks yeah, to the show. Please support. Please support. Fitness Girl is 30 minutes outside Chicago. I had no idea. But the ancestors knew. <laughs> the ancestors knew. And then I saw um, my friend Marcus, um, who's a, a powerful artist in Chicago. Uh, and so Chicago just came to the surface of my, of my consciousness. So I, I get it. You, you up against the hawk. <laughs> yes. You know, oh, yes. In Chicago, uh, at least for the next what four or five months. So I, I get it. I get it. So beloved, if you got transportation, if you got a car, you got internet access. Find out where the culture is, where the heat is. Journey into the Dusable Museum. Now the Dusable Museum, when I was last in Chicago, had an entire Egyptian scenario. They had a pyramid, and I mean, it was really, really nice. But if you got a car or transportation, because you can take the L to the west side, it's it's right off the L to get to the Botanica. And go in that Botanica, make sure you put on sort of like what you got in your picture, but put that underneath your winter clothes. Because once you get in there, you're going to have to come out of your winter clothes. You're going to have to. Uh, those plants require tropical environments. So even in the dead of winter, I would go in there and pretend I was in Jamaica, pretend I was in Morocco, pretend I was in Brazil. I mean, I would spend two, three hours in, in the Botanica Garden, and inside that greenhouse. Uh, there's another one. Um, now that I think about it, associated with the zoo, uh, also in Chicago, um, right off the red line. In fact, I lost a whole bag of body oil in, in the penguin. In the penguin room, I went into this the penguin room, which is dark, 
it's, it's like uh, the bottom part of an aquarium, but we can see into the aquarium, and you're in this cave-like space, and I put my bag with probably $500 worth of body oil, frankincense and myrrh and patchouli, and left the whole bag in there because I got so relaxed sitting in there. So find places where you can indulge nature. My favorite place to invoke Yimaya. I'm giving away my secrets now. Yimaya and Olokun was at the Chicago Zoo at those penguin, uh, those sea-faring animal aquariums. You know, um, stretch your imagination, fitness girl. Stretch your imagination. And know that there are people in Chicago that think like you. Now, it's easier to find them sometimes in the summertime <laughs> when it's warmer, but they're there. They're there. I knew a lot of Africans when I was back home, all the African shop owners I knew in Chicago. Of course, when the African Arts Festival would come, I would go and I would meet a lot of people. And I've acquired fabric, textiles, art, jewelry, but also culture and connection to culture and, and, and people who keep motivation flowing through you until you decide that you want to, you know, move or improve. Your Lincoln Park Conservatory is very, very beautiful place. Very nice. Very nice. Oh, yeah, y'all had me day, daydreaming and reminiscing right now. I love Chicago. It just was not in my destiny to live out my life there. Um, it brought me south. And so I'm grateful. It brought me back to many of our roots, many of us with Chicago roots. Your family migrated there from other places, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, the Carolinas, you know. But Chicago has, to be a, a huge urban center, has many um, opportunities to absorb yourself in nature. There are gardens. There are community gardens, particularly on the west side in Chicago, where people are growing herbs and fruits, go out and volunteer, fitness fun girl at a garden. You now get access to free produce. You now get somewhere you can grow your own stuff. And, of course, you won't have to wait until the springtime because we, we are talking about Chicago. But start by going to the Botanica. And, let you know, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this on air. But back in the day, I carried a little pair of scissors with me. I, I would snip a plant in a heartbeat. Okay. I would cut off a little piece of plant in a heartbeat because I knew I could put it in some water, root it, and, and keep that, that thing, that variety going. Um, back in my 20s, I passed, you know, drug tests you know, for marijuana because I ate and consumed herbs fresh off the plant every day. I would get up and go out in the garden and pull pieces off and, and eat them. And, and of course, I, I gained this information by accident. I think I was applying for a job uh, at the top of the, uh, the water tower. What's the name of that building? Um, Fitness Girl. Not the Sears Tower. It's the water tower, right? Right off the Gold Coast, black building with two. I was applying for a job in that restaurant at the top floor, and, and I had to take a drug test. And so I'm 
you know, knowing that I didn't smoke recently, but not thinking that eating the earth was was going to affect me in any way. And it absolutely cleared my urine test. They said it was faint, it was pale, but it was enough for me to, to get the job. So I swear by my, my earth, my plants, even in Chicago, even in a place like Chicago, you can expose yourself to nature. It just takes some creativity and some awareness. Oh, the Goddess Initiative. I didn't know you were in Chicago. Okay. All my Chicago people. Yes, indeed. All right, now. Yeah, I have uh, several brothers and sisters, cousins, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles in Chicago still. So love to my Chicago audience. I'm grateful to all of my audience um, from around the world. I'm, I'm often humbled sometimes to emotion by the people who listen to the show. I'm not always certain as to why. <laughs> you know, what is it about my show? I would love to know what is it about my show that I get so much attention in Australia, in Germany. Um, Canada, you know, we, we kind of think of Canada as another America. So, so, you know, we know that they are exposed to some of the same programming. I'm on reality TV in the UK. Um, Atlas of Cursed Places on, on Nat Geo is in the UK. Um, Breaking Dad with the Bradders um, is, is aired in the UK. So I'm not as surprised by, by my UK listenership and participants and co-hosts. But, man, when I start looking at, you know, Turkey and Egypt, Ethiopia, Yemen, Kenya, you know, places where there's the language differences, but also the cultural differences, it's very humbling. It's very humbling. And and if you're under the sound of my voice right now and you're in Morocco, you're in you're in Cameroon, you're in South Africa, email me. Tweet me, Instagram me, let, and let me know why you listen to my show. What is it that you find edifying or, or entertaining um, about the show? Um, I have a friend in Instagram now that lives in South Africa that uh, I've met through the show. So there's no reason for loneliness. There's no reason for isolation. There's no reason for boredom. I'm amazed, um, brother, by people who post their boredom in social media. Uh, who can be bored in 2020? It's just too much to do, too much to study, too many things to learn, too much art to create, too many books that still have not been written, too many poems that still haven't been constructed. It's just so much to do. And so those are the type of things, beloved, and everyone listening to me who might deal with loneliness, a sense of isolation, a sense of unhappiness. Fake it, fake it until you make it. Distract yourself with things that you do love. Distract yourself with things that are of interest to you. By the time you get into your painting, into your poem, 
into the creation of your song, into the creation of, of a new idea, you know, often you forget about what you thought was giving you problems, what you thought was making it, that trigger. And again, I don't want to minimize real medical, clinical diagnoses as it relates to mental health and depression. Get help, get counseling, get therapy. I took medication. Yes, I'm going to admit this live on air. I took medication for four years, from 1996 until 2000. So I was grown. I was in my, you know, 30s, early 30s at, at that point. Um, had been running from it most of my life. The same reason many of you, you know, I don't want chemicals. I don't trust the, the doctors. I'm, you know, I went through all of that. But somehow I was convinced by a priestess of Oshun to address the chemical, address the hormonal, make sure that it's not something in your physiology. And so I, I took medication for four years. And it's not a magic pill. You might take something for a month and, and say, this ain't working, and they might switch it. They might tweak it. And some of you lose patience. Some of you ain't got patience for that. You know, so it does take some, again, some willingness to be in control of your happiness or your sadness factor. I was at a point where I needed, I wanted change. And so I did. And it brought me balance. It brought me a sense of centering. It allowed me to think through some of the energy. Now, now let me tell you, it didn't fix none of my problems. It didn't fix none of my problems. What it did, though, was allow me the, the separation of the problem from my emotional electro network. It, it allowed me to step out of it and step into Ori and my higher self to allow La Tet to really change the dynamic of how I thought, and it was the end, the end of my depression. I have never been depressed since. I have never had to take medication since 2000. Last time I took any kind of antidepressive psychotropic was 2000. So it's been 20 years. It's been 20 years. And, and, and I know there are people in the chat who deal with it. I, I know it. I'm not going to call your names. I'm not going to. We know who we are. So I'm not making light of it. I'm not suggesting it's the easiest thing, you know, to snap out of. It, it's not. But just like magic, you got to be willing to be in control of it. You got to be willing to step out and say, okay, wait a minute. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that look. I don't like that energy. I realize I might not be able to fully let me bring somebody in or let me change the dynamics of what I'm eating. I also give credit to Adama Aleji in Atlanta, Georgia, for her powerful oratory performances on RFG Atlanta for three or four hours once a week where she would, in the most poetic most rhythmic way possible with, with music in the background, talk about you can't gain life eating death. You can't continue to eat the, the carcasses of dead animals, the pus and mucus of cows and chickens, synthesized, artificial, 
pesticide-laden, herbicide-laden food and expect life and expect balance. And I'm not here to preach vegan vegetarianism. That's not my point. But we've got to look at what we're eating. We want to look at the industrial complex and, and, and COINTEL and white supremacy and, and, and you're not looking at what we're eating, how our food is being produced. What's in our now, food? Can I, not, not to cut you off, can I interject right there? Come on in. I I always I always ask that one question because I too I don't eat meat either. I'm a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan, but I'm a vegetarian, and um, I don't condemn others who do eat meat. I mean that's your choice. But what I know is, you know, in, in terms of just simple, like you said earlier, common sense. If you look at the animals that they eat, right, the animals, cows, pigs, sheep, you know, everything people eat, what do they eat? What do those animals eat to get that big, to get those muscles, that, that, that muscular frame they have, to get that, you know, all that fat that they even have? What do they eat? J.P. Terrell. You know? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They don't, they, they don't eat. They don't yeah, vegetables, plants, grass, they don't even eat, you know? <laughs> so I always figured if I wanted to be that strong, be that be that uh, that, that sturdy, I, why not eat like they do? That's right. Um, the Goddess Initiative, um, I'm just seeing your question, which plant? And I've talked, so I'm not sure what we're talking about. Matthew Ferguson, what are we talking about? What plan? Am I missing something, or was it something that I said? Thank you, Marcus. All right, the voodoo is real. <laughs> the voodoo is very real. It was real. You know, it was real. I, I can't stress it enough. There, there was a time I really did not think that I would live to be 35. I, I, I thought I was going to be killed, uh, suicide. There was a time I thought I was absolutely going to commit suicide. There was a time I didn't think I was, was going to survive life, you know, as a black man, as a black gay man, uh, non-binary, gender-defining gay man in America. Um, I couldn't see, you know, the end of the rainbow. I couldn't see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um and unfortunately, I spent many of those years in, in Chicago, in St. Louis. Um, I agree with you, fitness girl. Mar- marijuana is a medication for people of a certain age and of a certain mindset. I don't necessarily support young people, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Your brain is still forming. And, and particularly boys, your 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 frontal cortex and all the things that grow us, mature us, is not fully formed until 2025. Now, in all due fairness, I started smoking weed at 18. At 18. Um, but you've heard my story. I'm a different kind of person. Was it, No, younger than 18. I was 15. I was 15 when I first uh, was exposed to marijuana. Uh, but I was in a completely different world, completely different environment. I was out in the world, didn't have parents, didn't have a whole lot of guidance. But, again, respect the voodoo, respect the ancestors. Um, they kept it from becoming just 
there was a time marijuana protected me. There was a time marijuana uh, gave me what I needed sort of to move through the world. And I can remember somewhere around maybe 25, making a conscious decision that I only wanted to smoke marijuana and enough marijuana just to meet my spiritual and physical health needs. I didn't want to be smoking marijuana because I was bored, because I lacked friendship, because I didn't have anything else to do. I stopped passing the joint. That's a real bad habit. And and especially now with COVID-19, that's a real bad habit. Passing the blunt, pass the dochi on the left-hand side, that's a real bad habit. (laughs) Germs, just just don't, don't do it. Don't do it. But it also, at that younger age, sort of increases that entertainment factor with the marijuana. So we get together, we party, we smoke. I don't necessarily think that that was a good thing. Now, when I got into college and university, it was very different. We would smoke. We passed the dochi on the left-hand side, and then we would prophesize. Then we would prophesy. Then we would speak spoken words. Then we would allow spirit to come through. And, and, and But we were exploring spirit, much like we think peyote and the indigenous people, much like we would think ayahuasca, you know, and, and South American people. There is a spiritual element to all food, to all plant life that must be respected, that must be acknowledged. Oh, I get it. Um, I was eating, I was eating golden seal. I was eating um, purple basil. So sometimes it's called Thai basil. Sometimes it's called sweet basil. I was eating um, mint. I was eating sage. And I believe I was eating dandelion. And we're growing all of that in our school garden. Every one of those things you just mentioned in our school garden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would go out and I would eat it. I would pinch off of it. You know, I would take a little clipping of it and bring it back in and put it in the soup, put it in the salad. And it absolutely worked. It absolutely did. It did. Now, after that, you know, my life changed. I've never had to take a drug test ever again. Okay. So, uh, you know, it absolutely worked then. I I made a choice. I wasn't going to take a job. I wasn't going to live a life where I had to pee in a cup for anybody. And that was the beginning of my becoming a vendor. You know, I I have people, I don't want to call out any of my siblings or my cousins, but I got people in a family who smoke who still smoke, who've got really great jobs, really, really great jobs, government jobs, high-degree jobs, you know, and, you know, in the context of, of the modern environment of cannabis, but they're still having to make sure their system is clean, find a way to, you know, do their job and, and not be violated because they, you know, they share this, this medicine. But I, I chose to become a vendor, an artist, self-employable, you know, so that I would not have to be subjugated to, to that uh, again. I like that, Shamafia, be in balance, eat closer, 
to the ground. Too much weed stops dreams and can depress you depending on your chemical makeup. I absolutely agree, particularly the younger you are, and I mean just chronological age. I do mean chronological age, but I also mean spiritual and emotional age. Um, in, in the rooms of NAAA, 12-step, they talk about spiritual development. People start off using drugs, alcohol, you know, smoking cigarettes, too young an age, and they suggest that you stop growing emotionally at that age. So until the person gets clean or gets control of, them, of themselves in, in proportion to that activity, um, I agree with you 100%. I also believe that there are, you know, people chemically made up to where they respond a little bit differently to not just marijuana, but all plant life. And so moderation, check your moderation and check your reasoning for. So if it's a crutch, why is it a crutch? I was aware when I was in my 20s that marijuana was a crutch for me, and I knew exactly what the crutch was. What I said, loneliness, issues in my family, isolation, bastardization, you know, and and it provided me what I needed at that age. I probably smoked too much. I, I can remember in my 20s having to pawn stuff, having to sell stuff, having to struggle you know, to, to to the next bag. I mean, oh my God, we did some crazy stuff in our teens <laughs> and in our twenties. You know? Yeah. And now, um, I am live on air. Let me be careful here. Um, you have to budget your diet. You have to budget your medicine, and so you don't do that nickel and dime moment to moment. <laughs> you know, you you, you prepare for the month. You prepare for two weeks, you know, to to maintain a sense of balance, much like with insulin or your other medications. There has to be a balance in your system of certain things. So I agree, uh, Goddess. I agree. Particularly the younger you are, particularly the, the more lacking in atonement you are with yourself, Moderation, balance, and intention. It can keep you held in place, Matthew Ferguson, if you are conscious. It can keep you held in place if you aren't thinking. And you don't have to reveal your age, but I'm thinking you probably in your late 20s maybe. And so it, it changes as you as you grow. The, the, the hard part is it's hard to tell somebody that at 15. It's hard to tell somebody that at, at 21, and particularly someone who's already smoking, that you might need to readjust. You might need to pay attention to, again, why do you smoke? How much do you smoke? I, I got to a place where I knew exactly how much I need to be normal. Without the entertainment factor, the high factor, all the and, – and the medical marijuana industry has sort of stressed that, sort of with the idea of, of dosing and, and controlled dosing. Um, but you still have to be conscious in it. I have some roster friends 
uh, be dreaded friends back in the day. And we would not smoke without chanting. You couldn't take a puff without saying, give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. The entire time we were smoking, you said prayers, you said chants before you smoked. They made clear that this was a sacrament, a sacrament, not a party favor, you know, not the local beer, but but something that was about spiritual elevation, but also healing. Um, the Goddess Initiative, I'm looking at you, you kind of on the young side too, and so I, I agree with you when you're when you're younger. Yeah, you, you, you go through periods where you test it. Should I be smoking? Do I even need this? Am I smoking too much? I think it's healthy to experience that. Um, because of my years of chronic homelessness, I was often exposed to 12-step in a, sometimes you can't sleep in a certain place, you can't eat in a certain place without being exposed to those meetings. And so I was able to, Think about what was being said, apply what was being said, what was useful for me. I've never smoked crack. I've never done cocaine. I've never done heroin. I've never done any drugs. Never. Um, I just recently uh, experimented with mushrooms. Shemak. Okay. But, um, and how was that? How was that? That was very interesting. Um, it was very light because I was cautious. I didn't eat a whole lot of it. Um, I still have some, of course, um, but it, it was powerful enough that I'm able to use it in that. I was absolutely able to see and experience what has been suggested, particularly in the therapeutic, psychological world, about the usage of some of these um, organic materials in terms of therapy. Now, I will say it can be intense, again, for the person whose third eye is not trained, who might see something and respond, who might see something and go into fear or see something and go into excitement. You've got to be metal. You've got to be in the middle. You've got to be able to see and then interpret what's being said to you. Uh, There's a hallucination scene. I believe it's in the very beginning of Serpent in the Rainbow. And the white scientist, the white doctor, um, starts wrestling, a, 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 I think it's a jaguar, you know. Yes, and then was the, the indigenous witch doctor comes out and then turns into the voodoo man. And, you know, so you got to, what was happening, if you remember that, was sort of that pull on what are your worst fears? What are your, where are your inhibitions? Where are the things the only that keep, scare me? Yeah, where are the things that keep you bound up? So, again, you got to be consciously willing to take that journey, to pay attention, to do the homework on those arenas when going into something like, uh, like what I did experimenting with, with the, the magic mushroom. And, again, thank you so much, Shamafia. I thought I was going to have to go to the U.K., to see that particular plane. I really did. <laughs> so you changed the game. You changed the game. Um, yeah, that was that was crazy. That was crazy. And so, again, at a very young age, I, I was aware of my demons. 
as much then as I am now. I know my dark side. We all have a dark side. It's not that you eliminate your dark side. You can crush your dark side. You can dominate your dark side. You can render it powerless. But for many of us, we can't escape the energetic ties to our darkness and, and those things that brought us pain and complication uh, in, in the very beginning. So you can do the same thing without marijuana, without mushrooms in your meditation. Again, the question is, how in, uninhibited are you? How willing are you to free yourself mentally, spiritually, while you're in the meditation? I, I can remember being fearful that I was going to leave my body and not be able to come back. That was a real fear for me, that I was going to leave my spirit and not be able to come back. So I might be crazy. I might be catatonic. I didn't know what was going to happen, really. So that's why I've never, never, yeah. That's why I've never experimented with them because I, I've, I've seen two people go and not come back. I've particularly seen two people do that. Yeah, particularly when you think of artificial, dangerous, artificial stuff like wet, for instance, um, which unfortunately, you know, you see that in the black inner city communities. Yes. You know, people using embalming fluid and PCP and wet and getting naked and coming out of their clothes and seeing stuff. And it's some of the things that I've been seeing on TV lately, um, do meth addicts do the same thing? They have hallucinations and envision and, and things. So there are ways to sort of slip into um, other dimensional spaces, but it's not organic. It's not natural. You ain't supposed to be there. You haven't grown to that place. Um, we get flashes of heaven, hell, the past, the future, all of us, all of humanity. Now, whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it when you see it or not, whether you have that balance that I'm talking about and you note that down, well, let me write that down. I'm not going to respond to it. I'm not going to give it a yay or I'm just observing. An empath has to learn to observe, not absorb. Observe. An empath has to learn how to observe, how to watch, understand, allow that energy to pass through you for understanding. But you can't take it in. You can't absorb it. So being in that meditative state, that transcendent state, allows you that, but from a natural perspective. And so the more cynical you are, the harder it is. The more you're like, okay, I'm waiting on magic to happen. I'm waiting to see, you know, the harder it's going to be for you. It's absolutely a process that you grow into, that you practice. And then you start seeing things. The spirit will test you. And how do you respond to it? Because if you jolt, if you shake, if you're in shock, if you show too great a degree of emotion, you, you break the trance state. The idea of taking ayahuasca, um, mushrooms, uh, peyote, even marijuana, is that to some degree it's a physiological, chemical thing happening that's out of your control. And so your body is going to process the THC or, or whatever the, the chemical composition is, which limits your 
physiology, your physical responses to what's happening, and gives your mind that freedom to sort of go. Just like going into surgery, you're not dead, you just sleep. And they put you under that anesthesia, and, and while it's happening, you, you, you don't feel, you don't think, well, at least you're not supposed to. <laughs> you don't remember, you know, but, but you're still very much alive, but you're, you're being helped out with anesthesia. So the goal would be, in keeping with balance, my co-host, Jamafi, is teaching on balance, is to balance your need for help in accessing the spirit realm. A mature person can access the spirit realm without a tool, without a deck of cards, without a crystal, without a, a herb, without a plant, but has grown, matured in their accessibility to certain realms of spirit. Trancing can be very dangerous. Being rose can be very dangerous. Some of you saw Buried World with Don Wildman that we did on Travel Channel not too long ago. Very day, I, I, I jumped over the fire. Did you see that? I jumped over the fire. Um, it was crazy. <laughs> when I go back and look at it, it was crazy what all I did in that video. Um, trancing is dangerous. And particularly trancing powers that you're not familiar with, that you're not trained in, that, that might escape your control. Some of you are, are, are open, but you're not like a radio fine-tuning your openness to a particular station. So in that openness of, of, of just open space, anything comes through. And I've had some bad things happen to people recently. I've got an email right now, somebody's dealing with a demon. I've got an email right now, someone tried to work some love and relationship stuff, you know, and, and, and her sister ended up having a child and marrying the man and it's just some stuff. Um, sometimes people think I'm being old and catty and shady. I talked to J.P. Terco about it, especially in, in Twitter. I, I, I get treated some kind of way in Twitter, but I'm speaking truth. And then when I see people like J.P. Carroll and others, then come back and say very similar things about some of this immature behavior, I just kind of sit back and I breathe and I say, uh-huh. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. You're not going to do all these readings. You're not going to get involved with all these people without getting involved in their life and in their energy. And some of these people... You don't choose to hook up with them, just like retail business. Thank you. We, we have this product. We have that product. Thank you. Next, you, you're not thinking about the long term necessarily. But, yeah, you got your long-term client. You, you get to know the old lady in the, the neighborhood. You get to know the little kid that comes into your, your shop. And so you, you build a certain sense of familiarity. You build a certain sense of relationship. But I'm talking about readers, tarot card readers, psychic practitioners, Reiki practitioners is one of the more dangerous arenas that many people see as always so innocent. You're going, if you're doing Reiki right, you're going into people's bodies. You're going into people's spirit with your own energy. 
And so I've seen things go left with some Reiki practitioners. I know some Reiki practitioners with alcoholism, with mental health issues, with other stuff going on that they're that they're struggling to move through. Um, and again, what are we eating? What are we drinking? How open are we to our connection with our ancestors who are, again, your first line of defense, literally and figuratively, physically and spiritually. Your ancestors are your first line of defense. Uh, yes, after 2 o'clock. It's too late to call in, beloved. I don't know why y'all like to do that, Goddess Initiative. I don't know why y'all like to wait and let me talk for a whole hour, two hours, and then y'all want to call. Then y'all want to get in on the screen. And Block Talk Radio allows me two hours, and then after you pass your two hours, unless you pay for more time, um, there's a, a archive that keeps recording. Now, um, our brother was on the phone before 2 o'clock, so he's still on the phone. So he can be, but you can't now call in. It's an unfortunate (laughs) complication with Blog Talk Radio. Now, you can turn your webcam on and get on screen. I'm willing to give you a few moments to do that. I'm going to move forward soon enough. Fitness Girl Fun, I absolutely do take private phone calls by appointment only. By appointment only. As you heard at the beginning of the show, before I put my phone on mute, um, my phone, my Skype goes 24 hours a day. Even if I stopped and said, hello, how can I help you? But I'm interested in an appointment. How much does it cost? Uh, how do I go about doing that? Well, you need to email me, beloved, at divineprince, D-I-V-I-N-E-P-R-I-N-C-E, at houseofthedivineprince.com. Houseofthedivineprince.com. And I spell it out because people get it confused. It's not D-E-V-I-N-E. It's D-I-V-I-N-E. It's not Price, P-R-I-C-E. It's Prince, P-R-I-N-C-E. Now, by the time I do that two dozen times in the course of my day, I wouldn't even be able to do the show. As you can hear, when my phone is dinging, I wouldn't be able to do the show. I wouldn't be able to do a reading. I wouldn't be able to get to a ceremony. So I'm a bit rigid about my phone. I got strict protocols on the phone. Um, I don't answer my phone. I just don't. Now, my godchildren, my clients, your names are already locked in my phone. So when you call back, oh, I okay, that's Paul. That's JP. That's Matthew. That's Shamafia. Okay, and you all know I will answer that call because I know it's you. And if I have a time, I'll, I'll give you that energy. I have to have people email me first, fitness girl, and arrange a call time. And that way we both will have the time and sacred space necessary to go into your reading, your consultation, your divination. You know, without a whole bunch of interruptions. So I appreciate that question. Chance, absolutely. Chance, another good word for that might be mantras. Um, 
Yes, it's a sacrament. Um, I don't know how much they still do it because I'm talking about something that's real old school, chanting while you while you smoke, and particularly more hardcore rosters. Bobo Dreads, the more hardcore rosters, um, who wouldn't necessarily associate with somebody like me, um, they tend to do more of, of that. I find Rasta that the reasoning. Yes, roster reasoning, reasoning. Um, the more Western you tend to be, the less you see that. Western culture, we smoke for fun, we smoke for entertainment, you smoke because you're at the club, you know, pop, popping bottles. There's no sacrament there. There's no sacredness to, to that environment. It's the difference between popping bottles at the club and popping a bottle and pouring a libation in the ground at the funeral with your family members while the casket is going into the ground. It's two completely different scenarios. Yeah, I'm sensitive about old and elder. And yeah, I, I get a little, I get a little, a little tense about that. I, I got that from my mother's mother. My grandmother was vain, honey, and she, she was 35 until they put her in the ground. She, she wasn't even going to get her real age. But, yeah, I do get a little funny about King and Elder. And, yeah, those words make me feel some kind of way. <laughs> Meditation, Arisha, is indeed an exercise. It's a necessary exercise. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. If you're not walking, exercising, working those glutes, <laughs> you know, you'll develop flat butt, and that can lead to circulation, nerve damage. Um, and so meditation is, is like exercise. And if we don't meditate, if we don't train our minds to think, to focus on specific things at any given time, you then are absorbing more of the nonsense. You then are absorbing more of the background noise. You then are absorbing more of what's being said on TV, of what's being said on the radio, of, of what the culture is saying. And you, you lose sight of the voice of God, the voice of spirit, the voice of your loa and your reason, the voice of, of your ancestors. I appreciate you all's participation. I really do. Yes, give thanks for the Mushroom Kingdom. Asheo. Aibobu. Taro, the ritual component of taking that substance is akin to going to the underworld to learn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, and I compare dreaming the sleep state as a similar thing. Um, You know, you're sort of dying and waking up again in the morning. And so, too, when you go into mushrooms and and there's that risk, you know, that chemical, physiological risk that is taken. But you're also being taken into the realm of olokun, of mystery and the unknown. Um, the unknowable in some cases. But that's weird. Now, I, I tend to get along pretty well with Aries in real life. I don't quite get the Twitter Aries thing in my Virgo-ness. <laughs> I, I haven't figured that out yet, what that personality thing is that makes Twitter the space that it is. Um, I'm just grateful to be there. Um 
Yes, Shamafia, I, I realize that now. They, they've got to be here. If they're there, they're here. It's a matter of going out into the spaces and the places and allowing, you know, the gnomes and the fairies and the spirits to guide our path. To guide our our vision. Listen, I'm going to move forward unless someone has a question, comment, or request. I'm always humbled and honored and grateful for any opportunity to to share and be here with you all. We I just want to say thank you for the words today. You it's been a powerful show. Learned a lot. I don't know if you heard me in the background. Every time you would say something, I'm like, ooh, powerful. Ooh, because you know, we need that. So thank you so much. And, uh, we, you know, keep it going. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I'm, I'm humbled, honored, grateful in service. Um, I need to hydrate and get some water um, and eat some lunch. Until next time, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you could just see beyond the veil. I invite you all to please support Nat Geo, Atlas of Sacred Spaces, support the Travel Channel, Buried Worlds with Don Wildman, Voodoo Dark Magic, support PBS, Montrum, PBS, Montrum, and Dr. Emily and her love for monsters and all things monstrous, and share my uh, Origins of the Zombie video, share my modern zombie video. I appreciate you all. Interact with me in social media. Connect with me in in social media. And I'll see you moving forward. All is truly and indeed a blessing. I say, I say. I say. Blog Talk Radio, I'm going to give you, as I always do, a little music before we just run out of here, I want to be careful, though, because uh, if it leaks on to the broadcast, the video broadcast, uh, YouTube is going to give me a problem. But I can do it on Blog Talk Radio. Here. Yeah, fit. <laughs> Fuck it, now I'm playing with that wolf. My grandma do voodoo. Magic. Fuck it, now I'm playing with that wolf. We just talk the head off a goose. Sister living proof You can't walk a mile in my shoes You can't even hang with my crew I'm just trying to get bigger bigger. Stand independent, getting richer I can't fall victim to the system LaFulio a killer Homies trying to knock me out the pistol I'm just trying to take care of my sister And provide for my brothers If you plan cut, then I'ma cut you I'm heartless, I never love you Never been a buster If you ain't from the seats, nigga, fuck it If Kojak got a problem, I'll bust it I've been thinking since I see
get brown really in the field. But my respect could do a hundred years. It is what it is. Everything got a stack and seal. I'ma ride till it really ain't no will. And if I sign this deal, I'ma still ride with my steel. Never gave a fuck about a meal. Now it's handing out the meal. God can even feel how I feel. I can't even drill how I drill. Niggas hate me in my hood. I'm thinking that everything was good. Guessing I got shit misunderstood. Wish a nigga would. Refuse to be the nigga saying I could. I just wanna make it out the hood. Oh, bro. My grandma do voodoo. Ay. Fuck it, now I'm playing with that woo. Ay. We just talk the head off a of goose. Sister living proof. Uh. You can't walk a mile in my shoe. You can't even hang with my crew. My grandma do voodoo. Ay. Fuck it, now I'm playing with that woo. We just talk the head off a of goose. Sister living proof. Uh. You can't walk a mile in my shoe. You can't even gang with my crew.
Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our hosts, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our hosts. The colonizers came and pushed aside our hosts and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate, a world harrowed by the beat, be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums, heart beat, heart beat. Heart be at this place, at this place be heart be 
beat, we beating place in new world space, beating being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk, our music the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together, circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end, connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be banza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy. Must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out of us. Whoa! But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade. But dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various, Various shades eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember to beat to be beat Congo Square be Congo Square Beat. 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 
Congo Square. B. Congo Square. 